That's what I have in mind. Um, maybe you've been to something. It's difficult to time travel and go to Greenbelt, Greenbelt 2012, um, but there's a few festivals there. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about um, other festivals. I've just given the game away for those who are paying attention. Um, what are the, the kind of key Christian festivals? If I was to ask you before you saw that slide, <laughs> what are the key Christian festivals? Easter. Easter. We're coming up to Easter. It's true. Christmas. Christmas. Coming up to Christmas soon. Uh, it's not actually the start of the Christian year. Uh, that is uh, Advent. It's actually just before Advent, but that's the preparation time, readying ourselves for Christmas, readying ourselves for the second coming Christmas. Obviously, the celebration and, uh, and the remembrance and the, the festival of Jesus' birth. And uh, that kind of moves slightly unwittingly into Epiphany. Uh, that's the, the 6th of January, uh, which celebrates um, when the, the Magi, the wise men, came to uh, infant Jesus and also celebrates the first miracle of turning water into wine. Then we've got Lent. Who's in their Lent disciplines at the moment? Holy bunch. <laughs> we're nonconformists. We were eating chocolate like there was no tomorrow this morning. We're not religious, that's right. Um, although these festivals kind of um, are important. Then we move into to Palm Sunday, Holy Week, and uh, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. And what happens next? Well, you'd have thought that. There we go. Ascension and, uh, and Pentecost. What's Ascension? Going up. Going up. I like that picture. It's, it's about going up. It's the risen Jesus, post-resurrection, the end of the Gospels, the beginning of Acts, and a few other places, appears to his followers for 40 days. And uh, so in, in Acts 1-3, after his, we'll read a few verses in a minute, but after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. I mean, for Thomas, he got to put his hands in this, the nail marks and in his side. That's a pretty convincing proof to be cooked breakfast by Jesus by, on the seashore of uh, the Lake of Galilee. Pretty convincing proof appearing in the midst of them. My peace, peace be with you. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Uh, we're not given a huge amount, but he did appear regularly. He appeared to Mary Magdalene he, uh, on uh, Easter Sunday morning. He appeared to the women in Matthew, quite often to Peter and Luke, uh, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We've heard that to the twelve disciples, sorry, the ten disciples. And Thomas was really ticked that he wasn't there. Unless I see him and touch him in these places, I won't believe. And shortly. After a few days later, Jesus did that and said, come on, Thomas, anatomy lesson for you. The 11 disciples in Galilee, 500 at one time, we're told in 1 Corinthians to James. And to the disciples in Jerusalem, just before he ascended. And he said to them at that moment, wait here in Jerusalem, the city, wait here. 
because I'm going and will send the Holy Spirit when I have ascended. And I, I, over the course of this week, I've been sort of mulling on that. I've been reading a little bit and uh, mulling. I was really struck by ascension of going up. Not the fact that I hadn't heard of it before. I had. I've read my Bible and kind of um, aware of it. But what it means. And there were things that I kind of knew that it meant, but I was, I was struck afresh. And I thought it would be good to, um, to kind of dwell upon that a little bit this week for us. That the resurrection... From the tomb, the tomb is empty, isn't the end of the story, although his death and resurrection is a, a fundamentally key part. Paul would say without, uh, if we don't preach Christ crucified and risen, our faith is vain. But that doesn't mean that ascension and then Pentecost are kind of like, well, where do they fit in? That there's a natural progression there's something that we can't avoid or if we forget or neglect, then we are impoverishing our faith. We are becoming malnourished. The death, resurrection, ascension, and the sending of the Spirit at Pentecost come together in a seamless whole. This progression, this step, the empty tomb resurrection of the ascension and of Pentecost, and actually truthfully, his return, are a key part of what he wants for us. But the question is why? What is ascension about? This slightly poor sibling, the Cinderella of the Christian festivals. Why is it overlooked? Why is it something that, as I was thinking about it, uh, was it something I thought, oh yeah, I need to recover something from this. I guess one of the reasons is that uh, it's celebrated 40 days after Easter. If you get your little device out or your old-fashioned calendar, you realize that that falls on a Thursday. Thank you, Pam. And uh, we don't tend to gather on a Thursday to worship, and so it kind of like passes by. Uh, we celebrate Sundays when we gather together. It happens to be on a Thursday, uh, and so we kind of maybe don't notice it. And maybe we kind of think, well, how do you celebrate it? How do we recognize and celebrate and ponder again and, and, and uh, take on board what this festival, this festival that had been set within the Christian year of many parts of the church, as something really important to remember, to not forget, to recognize as part of the kingdom proclamation? Well, Ascension recalls the final goodbye of the earthly Jesus. Maybe it's, it's one of those festivals that we, we don't like to, to dwell upon because we've had Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, Tragic Friday and uh, Maundy Thursday, where we've already recognized the great loss of Jesus in his death. And it's hard to kind of bid farewell again 40 days later, 42, three days later. See you, Jesus. Ascension going up. Here's some uh, depictions of uh, maybe choose one you particularly like, like the art gallery. Uh, some depictions in, in Christian art of Jesus going up. It's a little bit weird, I find that one. Sort of, um, yeah, um, there we go. There's a, a kind of an, a more ancient one. You maybe recognize the whole halo, meaning saints. Jesus disappearing again. Uh, another one. Looks like the angels lost their wings, doesn't it? Um, a slightly uh, more 
Yeah, I kind of like that. Kind of like that. This is a Dali one. I like that too, the, the perspective. I've actually seen Jesus from beneath as he ascends. He's an impression. Um, you know Dali. And, uh, and that one. It doesn't look so well, does he, Jesus, in, in that one? A little bit pasty. Uh, and uh, again, a relief. This is uh, the resurrection of the tomb and, and him ascending into heaven. I'd like us to, to hear one of the key passages, Acts 1, 9 to 11. I'll read it out for us. After he'd said this, that's Jesus, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you've seen him go. I never had the courage as a younger person to do this, but um, I was told that if two or three of you on the street gathered and stopped on the pavement and all began to look and point, a crowd would begin to kind of, kind of join you and go, oh. And, like, well, and very soon, there's quite a crowd began to crowd and everyone looking up. And the whole trick was the three, or the two or three of you originally could slip away and there'd be this ever-increasing crowd of people kind of like, oh, oh, you know, kind of like that. I wonder how long the disciples would have been there if the two, the two uh, men dressed in white, probably understood to be angels, hadn't said to them, what are you gawking at? What are you looking up for? The same Jesus who's been taken from you will come back in the same way you saw him go. So some of these reasons of ascension you may have heard of, uh, but... I, I, and towards the end was something that really struck me about it as, as fresh. That in Jesus ascending, there's something of homecoming. Of homecoming to his Father. I mean, Jesus loves us. He does. God so loved the world that he sent his only Son. And we, we know how much Jesus is moved with compassion and he draws alongside us. And, and uh, he loves us. That was his motif. But he loves his father more. There's something about homecoming. Before and after his death, Jesus declares that he was sent by his father and must return to his father. I came from the father and I've come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the father. Jesus said to Mary on Easter Sunday morning in the garden, Don't cling to me for I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm sending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. There is something sad in one way about the ascension. It's the absence of Jesus. But for Jesus, it was homecoming. One of the, the most common descriptions of the ascended 
Christ is that now he is where? At the right hand of God the Father. Romans 8, Ephesians 1, Colossians 3, Hebrews 10 and 12, 1 Peter 3. He's in the heavenly realms with his Father on the throne, and that's highly significant. At the right hand of God, that's the location of power. That's where... um, uh, that that uh, the promised location of God's chosen leader, Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven, reunited, home come. I suspect there's no sweeter reunion in the history of the world than Jesus' return to his Father. I wonder what would come close as an analogy for us. And the flip side of that is the reminder for us that the homecoming for us is yet to come. That Jesus prepares the way for our homecoming to be with him and the Father forever. We live in the wilderness yet to be called home. We speak of that in funerals, to have been called home, that we are in transition, sojourners, pilgrims on the way until we find home. The second thing I want to, to say is that, that the ascension in Scripture is, is seen as enthronement. That he is installed, not just through his resurrection and from his death on the cross, the majesty of God's love revealed truly, but in his ascension that he is enthroned as the true king of the world. We see this with, with this kind of slightly, well, this dreadful circumstance that the persecuted church knows so much about. The first martyring, Stephen, chapter 7. Of Acts. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. If you were listening closely, you'd have just heard me said that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. I'll come to that in a moment. But Peter, Stephen sees uh, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The early church formed a thing called the Apostles' Creed, and and in it, if you've said it in an Anglican church or a Catholic church, or maybe even heard it somewhere, it says in that creed, He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That we heard in the scripture, Jesus was taken up and disappeared behind a cloud, not just, uh, you know, a nice pretty patterned cloud that might look like something if we imagine hard enough. The cloud there, I believe, symbolizing the presence of God, the Old Testament motif, the cloud when the glory of God is present. And Stephen sees through that and declares that he sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Part of the context of that is the Old Testament fulfillment of what Daniel foresaw He saw that with the clouds of heaven, one coming like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion or kingdom that shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. He is on the throne, ruling. Not only does the ascension reveal his true nature as God's only Son, but as the only being worthy right now to sit on the throne. 
But Stephen sees Jesus standing. There's a, a bunch of speculation. Uh, one of the, 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 the question marks on that is as, as Stephen uh, proclaims Jesus and, and they pick up the stones and Saul holds the coats and the cloaks of those who are about to martyr this, the first blood to be spilt after Jesus. There's this wondering if, if the people of God, the, the, the Jewish nation at that time, would hear Stephen's preaching and repent and believe and that Jesus is kind of ready to return in that moment, a few short days, and, and instead of embracing Jesus, they reject and they stone Stephen. Well, we don't know, but there are other alternatives. I think perhaps a more significant alternative and perhaps a more true alternative is that, that Jesus there is standing because he's standing with his people. Remember, Jesus had already said, I won't return until the gospel is preached to every place. In Acts 7, that hadn't happened. That Jesus in the throne, enthroned, isn't just distant, but he advocates for us. John 1, 2, 21, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That what I'm saying is this, on the throne, in the seat of all authority, in all of the universe, of all that is created and beyond... The resurrected and ascended Jesus now represents us from his position at the throne himself. That he's no longer with us. He is absent on the earth. But brings us and our concerns directly to God, the Father. That Jesus stands when his people are assaulted and defamed. Jesus stands on our behalf. Isn't that amazing? There's something in the ascension of the access and advocacy of Jesus. We were drawn uh, in, in mind just this week uh, in the atrocity, the terrorism in London of um, the seat of government, uh, at least of parliament. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been there. It's an amazing place, the Palace of West Westminster. And uh, some of the politicians were saying over the years it was a place you could just go in and meet your, your MP quite easily. And now it's much harder because of the security and the barriers and the protection. And we understand the world in which we live. Uh, a number of years ago, I had the privilege to, to work with uh, and spend time with my MP, who was Secretary of State for Health. And, and she got me tickets to Prime Minister's Questions. Uh, a ticket, I should say, and um, it was kind of amazing. It was uh, in the days of good old Tony Blair. <laughs> Dates it, doesn't it? Um, but I remember I had to go through security. My bags were uh, searched, and it kind of got uh, pat down, and then went in, and I had to be escorted up to the to the gallery. and And it was after that incident where they'd thrown purple flower at Tony Blair, and so no longer is the gallery open, but there's this big kind of glass shield to protect the MPs and the ministers and the prime minister. Even though I was as far away as probably a little bit up there, to, it's a small place, there was still a barrier and the sergeant at the arms was kind of watching closely and there was no way that you could interrupt 
Even though it was so close, there was such a distance. Not so with the risen Jesus, that he is a heavenly mediator and high priest. You know that, I'm sure, that he intercedes for us. He stands and sits next to the Father on behalf of his people, presenting us to the Father, opening up access, opening up the way, knowing that, no, are we not behind a screen and separate and kind of like, okay, and the also ran somewhere else and the very, very, very important can perhaps approach. Not at all. That on our behalf, in him, We have access to the Father and through the Son and the Spirit, advocacy. He stands for us. He's interceding for us. Isn't that amazing? It also is a little uh, homage to the Lord of the Rings, the return of the King. (laughs) The men in white said, why are you gulping up there? He's ascended and he will return. The Jesus who was taken from them, the absence, the loss of their friend, will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. We pray regularly, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And when Jesus returns, he will execute divine judgment. He will vindicate his downtrodden and oppressed and forgotten and marginalized people, and he will bring judgment. Sometimes people say when, you know, that that tragic storyline of why did the paramedics try and care for the man who'd driven the car into so many people and stabbed and killed that policeman? He's got away with it. No one goes beyond the return of the king. All of us will stand before him, either as his friends or his enemies. We become his friends when we choose to follow him. Ascension means the given gift. We heard it in the passage also. He said, stay here in Jerusalem And wait, I am sending the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city till you're clothed with power from on high. Peter at Pentecost, a few days later, explained, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, the fulfillment of Old Testament. Joel, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. The ascended Lord sent the Spirit to be present with his people, to transform us, to let us know with a down payment, a guarantee, a deposit of the King and the kingdom to come. But also that that he is still working. And this is where something I I kind kind of grasp something new. At the beginning of Acts, in chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, Luke writes, In my first book, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. Did you hear that small word? Began to do. 
You see, the beginning, the began, signals that Jesus' ascension doesn't mean the stop, a cessation, but the continuation, the still working. And that's what Luke's second book is all about, Acts. Acts of Jesus, Acts of the Holy Spirit, Acts of the Apostles, Acts of the Church, Acts of Persecution too. But his work is still ongoing. And then, over to you. This is what struck me as, as something I hadn't thought about with the ascension. Something I hadn't recognized before. Over to you. We're told in Ephesians that uh, as Paul reflects on the church and Christ, he says, but each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower uh, parts of the earth. In other words, he was incarnated. He who descended is the same as he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fulfill all things. The disciples were looking up. They were looking up. They were fixated on the, oh, where's he gone? Oh, that's amazing. Perhaps. Is the cloud going to move? They were looking up. The two men in white, perhaps angels, said, why? Why? Maybe today the church still, we perhaps still, are in that looking up quizzically. Of course, we're waiting for his return. But maybe we're no longer clear why we're looking up, but we're still doing it anyway. What do I mean? You see, the point that the two men make to the disciples for me is this, in understanding the ascension fully. It's not that Jesus has gone upwards, but that he's gone. Now, that's stating the obvious. Let me state it again. It's not the fact that Jesus has gone upwards, you know, the direction, but actually that he has gone. It's not so much the movement, but the absence that's important. You see, in ascension, in this festival of the church, in this giving of this annual remembrance that we fail to remember so much, and here is perhaps why, we, we're called to celebrate the great divine absence seems strange to celebrate he's gone because actually in his going it's vital in our call to mission let me say that again we celebrate the great great divine absence because it's vital in our call to mission See, this absence, this going, this leaving, this ascending is vital in God's foolhardy plan to show his love to the world. First, he sent his son, who could have died at any point from being born in the animal's feeding trough right the way through, but he died eventually on the cross, and then he was raised from the dead, and then he ascends. He leaves us. Why? 
to finish what he began. And that's the riskiest part of the plan. But it's also wonderfully bizarre because it is God's plan. It's to remind us, Ascension, that we are essential to this. That God is entrusting to us and everyone in it with whom he loves so much to our care. He's entrusting us and saying, I've gone, but wait for the Spirit to come who will empower you. But I've gone because now you are tasked. There's no one left except us to do it. And God waits for us to realize the need for the penny to drop. What would you do if I gave up at this point and walked out and said, over to you? An absence in the pulpit, over to you. Carry on. You see, if Jesus was still here, and it would be wonderful in his risen existence, I think we'd probably leave him to do it, wouldn't we? I mean, we'd be with him, because it would be astonishing and amazing, and it'd be like the best place to be. I mean, all the things that accompany Jesus, wow. We'd be with him, front row seats, maybe getting tired and saying, come on, Jesus, push these crowds away. We're tired. We want time with you. It's our special time. But would we really, really kind of say, Jesus, move aside. Let us have a go. I mean, if you've got a master chef in your kitchen, would you say, shall I make you some scrambled eggs? <laughs> He'd say, no, you, you do it. We might stand on the edge making admiring noises, but it's unlikely we'd join in. Would we feel confident to kind of say, I'll, 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 I'll preach this sermon, Jesus? I'll give a go at listening to, to the Holy Spirit and bring a word in season. Oh, Jesus, no, don't you tell them about the kingdom. I, I've got this. <laughs> when we know how good Jesus is. Wouldn't that be true? And not forgetting the fact that actually that we're pretty much lazy. If there's someone else who can do better, we kind of say, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's easier for you. I mean, would someone listen to me when Jesus was there? Wouldn't you rather hear it from Jesus instead? You see, the resurrection offers us transformation in Jesus. And Pentecost empowers us to go and do it. But the ascension provokes us and jettisons us from, to give us the motivation to act. Because who else will? You see... We are fundamentally lazy and scared. If someone else is already doing something, most people will probably leave it to them. I mean, if one of the adults is clearing up, you tend to think, well, I'll just sit back and they'll wash up for me. You see, the reason why the essential is so vital is that if the risen Jesus hadn't ascended and was still proclaiming good news on the earth and healing the sick and befriending the poor and the oppressed, then probably most of us would say, you're the best at that, Jesus. And it would be true. But it would be oh so limited. That we'd become passive recipients of his ministry rather than active proclaimers of his message. After the resurrection, once they'd grasped what had happened to Jesus, 
Even the disciples were in danger of slipping back into their previous form of existence. But the assumption left the gap, the absence, a space that could only be filled if they picked up the challenge and ran with it. Resurrection, ascension, Pentecost. See, the void is left by Jesus. And the disciples, Jesus said, you can't act on your own. You need my spirit, and I'm sending you him, another counselor who will be with you until the very end of the age. And I'm with you by my spirit, and all authority in heaven and earth is with you. And you will learn to hear the voice of God because you will prophesy, and you will preach, and you will bring the kingdom, and you will contend, and you will step out, and you will go from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Death, resurrection, ascension, and the sending of the Spirit are part of the underpinning of our Christian life. What difference does that make? The answer seems to me every possible difference. That the life acknowledged and professing faith in the risen Jesus crucified and raised, he is at the right hand of the Father and lives and will return. And the ascension says to us, we've got a message, we've got a calling, we've got a life to live. And Pentecost, in his power, in his spirit, in his purposes. Here, the illusion, as we come to the table in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave or a servant, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that it is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The point of ascension. To remind us that though Jesus is no longer with us on earth, still the work of the kingdom is ongoing. And now we're drawn in. When Jesus once spoke of the love of God, now it is us who are to do that. Where Jesus once brought faith and healing, now the baton is passed to us. And where Jesus brought God close to people, now it's our mandate to be his hands and his feet and his lips and his body and draw people to God. Ascension. Ascension perhaps overlooked and forgotten, but wonderful nevertheless. Jesus is reigning, king and active and engaged in our world, advocating and passionate and seeing 
Ascension gives us the confidence to live boldly and confidently as servants of the exalted King and know that our labors are not in vain. And ascension means that we have a mediator, a counselor, a comforter, one who is most merciful and sympathetic and takes care of us and draws us to the Father. And ascension means that the Lord will return. And these days of struggle and suffering, of waiting, of longing, of praying, of toiling, of dying, will draw to a close. When just like Jesus, our homecoming is certain and we will be with him forever. Let's share in this meal.